This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. At the Ripsum software. So three, two, one. Are you, are you waiting for my clap? I was. Thank you, Steve. And we are back. Episode 13 of the Four Horsemen podcast. And what a week. Going into the final week of the regular season, 11 and 0. Who would have thought we would have been here? I mean, I did. I was yeah, pretty- I mean, yes and no, but I, at, at the beginning of the year, every single one of us said, obviously, this is a special team, incredibly talented. Um, I I had a feeling 11 and 1, but all things considered, I honestly thought we were going to go 10 and 2 and drop a game to like a Pittsburgh. But here we are. We persevered and it took a couple of weeks, but we finally got the eye of the tiger and started putting teams away in the fourth quarter in the second half. So yeah, let's uh we're 11 and 0. And that feels good to say. And I made a uh a bet with Mrs. Wagon uh, before the season. Uh, and I said, if ND wins the national championship, knock on wood, we'll get a puppy. Oh, God. <laughs> We're three yeah, games away from me buying a dog. Let me tell you something. Financially, I'm worried. Uh, my apartment complex can't take a dog at the moment. I'm going to have to have an IOU. Uh, for the dog. So uh, future Nick was not considered when passing it made the bet. Well, an IOU is as good as cash. Very true. Dylan, what are your thoughts right now about my uh, my past self writing, writing checks that my future self has to cash? I hope you have to cash it because that would mean we won a national championship and I would give up just about anything in this world to win one. Yeah, yeah me too. Um, so we all know what happened this week. Uh, Dylan was holding down the fort uh, on Twitter for us. I hope it was a good tweetable uh, match. Um, Steve and I were at the game, and Steve got to meet the patriarch of the Wagon family, uh, my grandpa, as I he did. was taking a picture with his uh, his girlfriend literally right next to me. Yeah. And I looked over, and I said, I know that jersey. And it was Steve. So that was magical. It was a flash in the pan moment. My other friend who uh, I play soccer with just so happened to be you know, at the game. He just so happened to be in your section. So we walked over to their section to take a picture for them. And yeah, just look over. There's there's Patty. And uh, <laughs> yeah, met, the, uh, met Mr. Senior Wagon. And it was great. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a different game. The the beers, not many uh, ND games get beers sold of them. Uh, so I'm not sure what your prices are up there in Canada, Dylan. But it was like eleven dollars for uh, a, a sixteen ounce cup, and then like fourteen dollars for a twenty four ounce uh, tall boy. Uh, so they were they were pretty pricey. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit much even by our standards. Like we bitch about going to hockey games or concerts or whatever um, and just paying absurd prices for beer, but it's usually like between 10 and 13 and that's Canadian. Hmm. So, you know, is that like $400 US? We also, stadium, 
uh, since they renovated with all the food and concessions, and they were selling mixed drinks. You could get a Jack and Coke for like $18, which is wild. We have to talk about how really you two lost this week. Specifically, that our Lord and Savior, Phil Jerkovich, did not come into the game. So I I don't know. You have anything to say about it? Well, well has he now played in three games? Oh, he has. So we got to so kind of... We've only got one four. left. Oh, I was thinking yeah. we would play him. Um, it's four, right? He can play? Four, yeah. Yes. So the, the big thing I thought it was because Wimbush is from Jersey um, and they wanted to kind of get him that last like hometown crowd feel. Uh, so it made sense. He's a senior. He's not going to be on ND next year. Uh, but what I really liked, and I'm not sure if anyone talked about it, but they put him in a running back in that, that split back package with uh, Williams and him and Book. And that wasn't a strategic move by Kelly to get him into the game. It was rather to make Dabo Swinney, Nick Saban uh, kind of look at it and give them fits in terms of oh, yeah. Because now you have to account for two quarterbacks and three guys that can run the ball really well out of the backfield all at once. They may never use it again. I know when I was a coach, we did that sometimes when we were going into a playoff game, when we knew they were scouting the game, just to give the other coach. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Um, as for the game itself, for me, biggest takeaway was our, our defense with the takeaways. See what I did there? Um, <laughs> I thought it was an awesome defensive game all around, and I really enjoyed watching a thorough browbeating of Syracuse. Uh, I'm considering a shutout, uh, even though Babers was petty and went for the field goal at the end of the game, with more booze rained down on him than I've ever heard in a stadium before. Yeah, that was the biggest cocksucker move ever. It was terrible. Dylan, thoughts? Um, yeah, it was. I mean, Andy Twitter was losing its mind. It was really funny. Um, I think what's impressive there is that Syracuse was averaging, I think, forty-four and a half points per game. Mm -hmm. Top offenses in the country. Granted, they were playing horrific teams all year, but I think this was a game we finally saw the defense break through in scoring defense. So we've been seeing them play really well with the eyes. We've been seeing them in certain metrics playing really well, especially um, like in pass coverage. Sometimes we've been really good uh, in not giving up many yards compared to what those teams average. But we hadn't seen it translate into basically low, low scoring games where it's shutouts or it's less than 10 points. So I thought that was really big, especially against Syracuse, to do it. We kind of got lucky here because, look, Syracuse is not – really a top 25 team and I know a lot of people are discrediting our win and they're kind of right on it we'll take it and it looks good and that's why we're a little lucky here is that I'm sorry Syracuse has kind of lucked out to be this good to be eight and three at this point so it's like legitimately we could jump Clemson I don't think we will but we could um, and it definitely I think saves us from anything like absurd like Michigan jumping us beating another ranked team by 33 in a neutral zone so we accomplished, I think, a lot of things in that game, but we really should have won that game by probably 50, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Steve? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I retweeted something earlier today um, that Notre Dame now has four opponents that they've beaten that are currently ranked as of week 13 in the top 25. Uh, Pitt, Syracuse, um, Northwestern, and obviously Michigan. So, and then you have to put in, you know, the the blue chip programs out there like Virginia Tech and Stanford. Yeah, they're both having down years, and, and you can even make a case for Florida State, who just upset um, Boston College. So, people always say like, "Oh, join a conference, you need strength of schedule." But we we haven't. Inc- I mean, we've played some down teams this year. All things considered, we've had a tough schedule and we've handled it. Yeah, so, I don't know if I'd say like tough schedule because those ranked win teams have four losses, and we unfortunately, well, unfortunately and fortunately at the same time, got those blue chip programs having down years. But what's important is the strength of record is number one in the country again. So that's not it's not strength of schedule, but it's almost a better metric in the sense where it applies your record versus how other teams would have done with that same schedule. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's really important. And the committee does look at that. And Is that a new metric deal? Yes. They brought up this year? What? Is it a new metric? Um, Is that a new one that they brought out this year? No, it's not. It's not this recent. I don't know when they brought it, but it's been around since at least the committee has been there. Interesting. Um, and I would just like to point out that we, we're number one in strength of record, and we also have a stronger strength of schedule than both Alabama and Clemson. Oh, really? I haven't. I haven't seen. We, I I was looking at it earlier today. I think we're ranked thirty eighth, and uh, Clemson's in the forties, and Bama's in the fifties. Right. It's just. It's really funny how our top wins and our toughest games have been against the teams you wouldn't have expected to be good this year. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, one thing I did notice too, I was look. I've been kind of tracking efficiency scores as well, um, and Notre Dame has consistently improved offensively from week one to now. We're we're up there. We're in that top level. Um, so we're seeing some of the deeper metrics kind of translating into blowout wins, which has been a criticism we got earlier in the year. Despite the fact most of that was just Wimbush at quarterback and that one pit game, which now looks like an actual good team. So. Yeah, I think it's all really coming together for us, and I don't think we've peaked yet, and that's the really, really important thing that I got away from this game was we're coming through on offense, we're coming through on defense, and we're still not quite reaching our full potential. I love it, and I I would agree with that. Um, Really, last takeaway from the game, uh, there was 48,000 people in the game, and I think 47,000 of them were Notre Dame fans. Uh, (laughs) So my alumni do travel well. I told you guys, I told you it would be an all Notre Dame crowd. It was very interesting to see that. And uh, my, my grandpa remarked kind of just on an aside, there was so much different swag at the game. We saw people in George Gipp jerseys, uh, the old school pinstripe bull jerseys, the new pinstripe bull jerseys, uh, the hats that they were wearing. It was wild to see just all the different swag that the uh, the fans were, uh, as kids would say, dripping in. Yeah, that's a... All right, uh, I, I officially quit the podcast after you saying that. <laughs> all right, well, moving forward. Four horsemen by committee this week. Um, we all know who they're going to be. I'll start with mine. Uh, Alohi Gilman, the man rocket, uh, two interceptions, 
he was all over the field, and he is just a uh, a fantastic human being. His pursuit angles are some of the best I've seen, and uh, he's the best. That's all I got for him. Uh, Dylan, who's your one of your four horsemen? Um, I agree with you there. First off, uh, he was my number one. I think he's probably defensive player of the country that week. Um, he was. Unbelievable, unbelievable performance. Um, mine is going to uh, my number two, Chase Claypool. He had a fucking bomb of a game. Uh, I think he had close to 90 yards on, you know, seven receptions and a touchdown. He was just all over the place making some great grabs. Steve, who's yours? You know what? This guy deserves it for working his ass off and being uh, a quasi-backup, I guess I'd say. But, hey, Kurt Heinisch, first career sack. He ended up with one and a half on the day with two tackles, one assisted. So, congrats, Kurt. Big fan of Kurt. And uh, our fourth one, bouncing back from possible kidney failure or whatever happened in last week, uh, Ian Book, he was rusty, but I think he played well enough to show that he is ready for three more games. And I think we're ready for him to be ready for three more games. He played well. Um, he is a very crafty individual when you see him throw some of those passes. And uh, I, I thought he played very, very sound football against a tough defense. I got kind of two things to say before we move on to our next segment there. Sure. Um, one, I don't imagine you guys saw this because it was on the graphic on NBC. So I'll just let you know. Um, was Doug really terrible again this week? Um, yes, he always is. I've learned to drain him out. Uh, <laughs> you know, he threw a baseball before the game, and it's like, go oh, fuck yourself. Nobody gives a shit. Um, I can't it's like NBC's teasing us with this. They know we want Quinn, but they're just not going to do it. Anyway, that's beside the point. Um, they pointed out that he is very close to the all-time quarterback completion percentage uh, for a season. Uh, Colt McCoy is number one. Um, he underperformed this week, his percentage, but with three games left, it's actually something we could see him come close to breaking. Um, and then the second thing is, kind of before we move on, I think um, everyone would be really interested in hearing what your perspective was at Yankee Stadium, because you guys were actually at the game. What was it like to kind of experience a football game in a baseball field that isn't Fenway Park, so it's inferior? Uh, Steve, I, I've been to a few games at Yankee Stadium uh, for football. So I'll let you go first, as this was your first ever college game? College game. Okay. Um, first ever big-time football game. The only football game I've ever been to other than you know high school prior to this was a preseason Patriots game. Um Let's, yeah, so this was my first ever college game, first ever Notre Dame game, and it was my first ever game at New Yankee Stadium. And it, well, first ever event at New Yankee Stadium, which is an absolute cathedral. Um, it was awesome. It was really cool. I think it would have been, obviously, you know, the novelty of, of the game in Yankee Stadium in New York was really unique. Uh, I don't think it would even come close to a game actually in Notre Dame Stadium but the ability to to grab some beers at the game and get you know wasted while watching them absolutely dominate was was truly special. Was celebrating and dapping up a bunch of people after every big play, every first down, every big third down stop uh, and, and turnover. So the crowd was raucous, but everyone was kind of cool, which you don't expect in New York. But most fans were traveling, so they weren't New York douchebags. And. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah i mean it was it was great i was 
at the I was in the right field, which was basically right on the fifty yard line, maybe the forty five, and it was a great view. Even though we were pretty far away, I was able to see everything. So all things considered, I mean, it was truly a, an amazing experience. That's uh, that's pretty great. Um, I was thinking because next week we don't play a game. So we'll have a lot of time to talk about things. Uh, and maybe we can talk about our experiences going to college football games. I know P's been to a few Notre Dame games and I've been to one. Um, you know, we could play a little quiz or something. So hopefully people tune in next week as well. Because even though we're not pl- playing or previewing a game, we'll have lots of content. I thought you meant the USC game that they weren't playing. I thought that was just a very, very like petty thing that you were saying about the rivalry. Uh, and that's why I laughed there. But um, this is my third third trip to Yankee Stadium. I've sat in three different sections, and I've taken away from all of them. My first one was the first ever pinstripe bowl. I sat in the bleachers, K-State Rutgers. Uh, that was really effing cold. Um, I don't recommend sitting at a baseball stadium in December. Um, weird, right? And then the second one was Notre Dame Rutgers, pinstripe bowl. I sat behind home plate, second level. Uh, that was pretty cool. And then this one, I think, was my favorite one of them all. Uh, not just because it was a blowout, but the corner end zone seat I was in, even though it was on the fourth uh, upper deck, the top of the stadium, I definitely think that had the best fans, the most passionate fans. And uh, what was really cool about that, at the end of the game, there was this, I, I guess he was drunk, father. Uh, he brought his kids down to the the first level. I was sitting in row three, so he got down to row one. And he his wife was trying to like dip out of the game to uh, beat traffic, which there's always traffic in the city, so she was new. And he he looked at her and go, no, I need my sons here uh, because Alma Mater was going to be playing. And he was like teaching them a life lesson about Notre Dame, which was super cool to like look on as like a, a bystander. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm glad you guys had a good time. Yeah. But, um, you know, we're done with USC or Syracuse, whatever they were. Put Dino Babers and his petty ass in the books. We're uh, with USC, too. And we are done with USC. Hashtag done. Uh, but we moving on to USC. Uh, Hod Helton, Clay Helton, whatever his name is, Clay Helton. Uh, he's going to be out of there before the end of the week. We're recording this on a Monday. Wouldn't be surprised if they fire him by Friday. Um, he is not doing well. Uh, they lost to UCLA, and they may miss a bowl game this year. So this USC game has multiple meetings. It'll lock up our college football playoff spot, but it will also knock USC out of the playoff or out of a uh, bowl game. Uh, so I'm excited to think that uh, USC is very good in anything that they do. And I think their quarterback, JT Daniels, has reached his peak, uh, which is unfortunate because he's an 18-year-old freshman who can't throw a ball down the field. Uh, So that's my quick overview of USC. And I think I hate USC more than most teams on the schedule, to be honest with you. Uh, So do we have any quick takeaways, quick thoughts about the uh, USC game? Spread is at 10.5 right now. I do have some breaking news. Can I have a breaking news siren or something? Uh, We'll put it in after, but boo! Just keep it at that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we just committed a four-star outside linebacker from Georgia. His name is J.D. Bertrand. 
six one, two hundred twenty pounds from Roswell, Georgia, class of twenty nineteen, oh. and we beat out uh, both Georgia and Florida for that recruit. So that's that's a good feeling. And yeah, he did made it from Georgia yeah. a few weeks ago. And we got the, uh, the number one punter from Alabama too. So the South is Notre Dame's now. Yeah, and you know how uh, how well friggin' Nick Saban does with recruiting special teamers. <laughs> So we got Jay Bramble at two, the punter. I'm really excited to have him on the team. Uh, we, we got Newsom out of Georgia. Uh, so, you know, special teamers out of the South are playing big and getting that linebacker is even bigger, especially because he's a four-star. Mm-hmm. All right, back to Our USC. Break. Yeah, what are your thoughts on USC? Dylan, I'll let you take this. Sure. Um, I've bet on them a few times, and they've cost me. So uh, I don't like them. Uh, I mean, it's a rivalry game. It's the Trojans. You always get up for it. Uh, But this year, they're not good. And I kind of had a feeling UCLA would beat them. Um, And they did, which is hilarious. I don't know who's been more of a disappointment this year, Florida State or USC. Because USC might end up with the worst record. And when you consider how, you know, decent they were supposed to be, I think they were ranked higher than Florida State at the start of the season. You know, everyone's talking about Florida State being a disappointment. Fuck, we got to talk about USC. Um, they're not good. They're just, they get run on, they get passed on. I'm sure they got a, an explosive offense because they always do. But look, we beat them 49-14 last year. That's 35 points. And they had an NFL starting quarterback. This- it was Sam Darnold. Pump your brakes there. He's not a actual starting quarterback. <laughs> He's a fat-faced asshole, and he can't the even one- throw. He, I, he looks like he has mumps. That's a it's a trigger topic for P-Wagon, how much he hates Sam Darnold. But I think my point is kind of obvious, where we beat them by 35 with, an, again, an NFL-level quarterback. Whether he's good or not this year is a second point. But we're going to destroy them. It, it's it, – Ten and a half is ridiculous. Like, I would put it at 21, and I think I would still take the points on Notre Dame there because they're bad. They're a bad football team, and our football team's going to the playoff. And make no mistake about it, they will not be sleeping in a rivalry game with that on the line. So, yeah, I, again, I said we, we're pretty much done with USC already because the game's going to be over before it started. Steve. Um that just made me incredibly nervous. Uh, I have massive anxiety that those words were just said out loud. Um, I don't think I'm going to be get any sleep tonight, so thank you for that. <laughs> we are obviously the superior team, but um, yeah, man, I, it, it's it's. It's USC. This could go one of two ways. These kids could just be like, yeah, you know what? It's Thanksgiving. Let's just get through this so I can go home and don't have to like, that's it. We can, I can rest my body for the next eight months. Right. These kids are just going to go to the beach because they're, they have phony ass fans from a stupid school that produces like that produced like Will Farrell. Like, cool. Um, yeah, so they it, it's all bandwagon fans that have other things that they care about. They're not diehards. They're not true fans like us. So it's a candy ass program to be frank. They don't got no these kids. <laughs> hopefully these kids are just over and want to hit the beach and then our guys can just be like, "You know what? 
we can't take this for granted. You know, go home for Thanksgiving, get your shit done, and then get to the freaking LA and just rub their face in the dirt. I'm looking at the um, the team stats values per game. They're averaging 239 yards of passing, 138 rushing, uh, so 377 yards of total offense. Their defense has given up 380, and um, it's a rough one. They they definitely have uh, a very interesting season, and uh, it's not good. They are 85th out of 130 for points per game, uh, and they are 69th out of 130 in opponents' points per game. Uh, nice. Their strength of schedule ranks 42nd. Strength of record, 62nd, uh, 2.21, whatever that means. And they're averaging minus four points if we wanted to do a rugby point differential. Uh, they're minus four for the season. Yeah, they're That's rough. But it's a rivalry game, so, you know, even though everything I just said could go out the window, I don't think it will because, I mean, Steve, you pointed out USC fans, it has to be a West Coast thing because you see it with the Seahawks. Um, you see it with the Vancouver Canucks if you want to get to hockey. It's like those fans out there just are fair weather, and that's the way it is. The Rams the same way. I mean, nobody was going to their games two years ago. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't imagine USC fans are looking forward to this game. I mean, I'm sure they do because it's, it's, I mean, a premier rivalry, but they know they're going to get spanked. Um, and I can't imagine the players are looking forward to it, right? They're going to play for a coach who they know is getting fired. They may not get into a bowl game. They're going to play a team that's going to dominate them physically for four quarters. Yeah, I, I just wouldn't want to be a Southern Cal fan right now. And yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, Sacramento, California is in Northern California. Is that correct? I think so. It's what, what's in Northern California? Repeat that. Sacramento. Yes, it is. So we got Northern California, Ian Book, coming down to Southern California just to browbeat all those Southern California surfers over there. So there's another storyline that everyone should watch out for. Um, but interesting, I just pulled up Vivid Seats, and if I could get a, a ticket out to L.A., I could go to the game for cheap. $73 a seat right now in the end zone. Row 14L. Pretty interesting. So that's a sign that the um, the team's down this year. A Notre Dame USC game being sold for that little of price. That's interesting. Yeah, I wonder how the viewership's going to be because in it depends on the year. So if Notre Dame and USC aren't really playing for anything, they get average ABC viewers. But in 2012, they cleared house on rivalry week. They blew past everybody because Notre Dame was number one. Now that's because it was to get into the championship game directly. I wonder if that same effect is going to happen for this game. I don't think so because I don't think the hype is there right now because we're number three in the country. It's not like we're getting right into the title game, but I'm interested to see how many people turn into ranked Notre Dame versus a bad USC because one of these years we'll get a top ranked matchup in Southern Cal to end the year, and I swear the ratings will break. It'll bust the national championship. But until then, USC sucks. No, I'm looking at the top 25 schedule, and this kind of goes into our college football uh, rivalry uh, part. 
Uh, actually, first prediction for the game uh, at 10.5 over under 53. I'm saying Notre Dame 54, uh, USC 0. Wow. Steve? You already know 100 USC, ND nothing. I just got to fulfill my superstitions and just do my duty and get us to the next game. Do your job, Steve. And uh, Dylan? Oh, boy. Um, I believe in, what was it, 1966, Notre Dame went to USC and beat them, was it 59 nothing? Sure, let's go with that. 49 nothing. It was a monster score. And it's actually swayed both the AP and the coaches' poll to give it to Notre Dame instead of Michigan State, who they drew recently in that year, making it a consensus title so Michigan can fuck off trying to claim that one. <laughs> but I think it won't be that bad, uh, but we're going to see, I think, a dominating performance. I'm going to say 46-10. to 10. Big, big score. That's 36 points. And I think like ten is generous. Very, very generous. And I think like forty-six is like we're giving it easy in the fourth quarter. Like it's forty-six in the fourth quarter, and we're just like, all right, let's just kill the clock. Put Blue Bush in, just have him run the ball. Yeah. Well, I would agree. And we're looking at the top twenty-five schedule. Uh, it's rivalry week, obviously. Uh, we have Mississippi State, Ole Miss on Thursday, which is a pretty good Thanksgiving game. I'll, I'll tune into that. And uh, wait, Dylan, when's your Thanksgiving? Um, October. What? Why? Um, because the Commonwealth countries have their Thanksgiving earlier. Um, yeah. You eat turkey? This is an abbreviated ask a Canadian. Do you eat turkey during your Thanksgiving? Yeah. I mean, this year I had ribs. It's easy to eat. But usually families with people that have the ability to cook will have turkey. So wow. what do you do for the football games on Thursday? So, well, Thanksgiving's on a Monday, and we celebrate it on Sunday. It's it's a little weird like that. We get the Monday holiday off. But, but I'm talking – you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, so, like, they yeah. usually play. So, like, what are you going to be doing this Thursday? This Thursday? I'm just going to be that's watching the Cowboys play. That's, that's it. Do you have – Why don't you celebrate real Thanksgiving? Well, I told you guys, actually. I don't think – you must have missed it in the chat. I said real Thanksgiving's in October. Um, so, I mean, I celebrate. <laughs> oh, no, we saw that. We just ignored you because you were wrong. Okay. Okay. And, uh, no, so we're recording early, and this is kind of an Ask an American segment real quick before we get into the rivalries, and I'll let Steve go. Um, we're recording on a Monday. We usually like to wait to see how far Michigan will fall out of the rankings uh, tomorrow because they only beat Indiana by 11. Um, but Steve is celebrating Black Wednesday this year. Uh, do you have, or every year, do you have anything like that where you go out and get hammered the night before Canadian Thanksgiving? Um, not that I know of. Um, I'm sure people do because that would be a Saturday night. So, you know, that's just normal. But, uh, no tradition that I know of. Um, yeah, I don't think we make as big of a deal of it as you guys do. Like you play your football games on Thursday. You know, mm -hmm. it stops working on Thursday. Um, we just put it till the weekend. So and some of us stop working the week before Thanksgiving. Hey. <laughs> it's funny. Um, but no, Black Wednesday is an awesome tradition. Uh, Steve, I know that you love it. You're it's you go my back favorite night of the year. 
You go back uh, to your home in the last three years. I've lost a phone two times, and and also last year I booked a cab from Providence to North Station at peak hours, which uh, they actually rang up my card for about three hundred and fifty dollars. So I've been I've been known to drink a little bit, uh, but it's it's the best day of the year. So that's that's that. That's I hope we taught you something that Black Wednesday is a thing. And uh, that was and, our abbreviated Ask Your Canadian. And with that, I'm going to take my leave, and I'm going to let you guys uh, let it rip on the top ten and who they're playing and, and uh, rivalries. Unfortunately, uh, I got to I gotta leave, but uh, yeah, we, we had a conversation about this earlier in the group chat, and I'm sure you guys are going to let it rip now. Sounds good. Go Irish. Better than Joe, man. Go Irish. Take care, guys. All right. And Steve is gone. Three, two, one. I don't want to clap. Everyone's sleeping. So, uh, you know, moving into the college football rivalry game, Friday we have Texas, Kansas, uh, East Carolina, Cincinnati, which doesn't really matter. UCF, South Florida. Uh, then South Florida could pull the upset. And then we have Oklahoma, West Virginia at 8 p.m. and Washington, Washington State. Uh, going into the Saturday schedule, ND is the 8 p.m. game. should be on ABC. And uh, there's really no other really marquee 8 p.m. matches. But there are some rivalries, and I know you wanted to talk about this a little bit more. Uh, what's your stance on college football rivalries? Where does Notre Dame-USC rank? Um, well, I mean, the biased fan of me says number one, of course. Um, but I, I did put out a tweet today that ranked them. Um, so for for rivalries for me, I, I kind of broke it into three groups. Like there's the, the hatred and, and the heat of the rivalry, which admittedly Notre Dame doesn't really have for any rivalry. Um, we're not really a hateful bunch. Um, we, don't, we don't, yeah, well, we don't really have just that in-state, like I want to kill the other fan base too much. Um, part of that's probably because USC fans are jokes. Um, so we don't have that, but what we have, and I think another major part is, how historic are the two programs, right? Like a rivalry is better when the teams are competing for something. And as I said, there is no two programs. I mean, maybe Alabama sneaking into the number two spot, but no two rivals that are more historic and more successful than Notre Dame and USC. Uh, you look at the combined honors of titles, Heisman, draft picks, Hall of Famers. Nobody combines for more than Notre Dame and USC. So it, it's a big game. Um, I pointed out to a Michigan fan who was bragging about the 10-year war with Ohio State that produced zero national champions. But you look at the 11-year war between Notre Dame and USC, and I believe it produced five. I mean, every year they were playing for a national championship. And it was like that a lot throughout history, um, spoiling each other and stuff like that. So when you factor that in with the you know mild hatred, and then the third category was how did the general population look at it? Um, I put Notre Dame USC overall at number three. Um, I had Michigan Ohio State number one because they're probably number two in that like historic thing because they are blue bloods. Although both of them are behind Notre Dame and USC, uh, right. number one in hatred with Alabama and Auburn, who I had number two because that's really perceived as a top one. So that was my top three: um, Oklahoma Texas number four, and then Army Navy number five. I don't really like that rivalry because I don't care, but I realize a lot of people. <laughs> Um, so I put it fifth. Interesting. So 
I have a kind of a different slant on it, and I understand that you go based off of stats and numbers and all that, but uh, that's not really who I am. I definitely think there are rivalries in America that are bigger than the game itself, um, and one of them uh, really that transcends sport uh, is the Harvard-Yale game. I know it's a an Ivy League, not really a perennial contender, but that that and Army Navy are kind of tied at the top for me, uh, just because it does transcend uh, transcend sport. And really, based off of that, I do understand that there are some regional rivalries that we see. Uh, and really, Notre Dame USC would probably be my number two, uh, just based off off of everything that you said. Uh, it's really had those historic moments, and uh, n- none other than the the Bush push. Uh, the 2012 game, just to name two recent ones. And off of that, I think number three would have to probably be um, Michigan-Ohio State, just not so much for the game itself, because Ohio State has won, I think, a ridiculous amount over Michigan because Jim Harbaugh can't win a big game. Uh, But the regional rivalry there, the hate is there, uh, much like with Bama-Auburn. Um, the, that one, the Iron Bowl, is always one of those matchups, along with the Egg Bowl in the SEC uh, or Mississippi, Mississippi State. Those are two regional rivalries that actually breed hate and contempt. Uh, so really, if you how I think of rivalry and how you would define a rival in sport outside of statistics would really be if a fan of the other team was on fire, would you put them out? And I don't think the ones that I mentioned, besides Army Navy, because they're gentlemen and they would, you know, USA all the way. Other than that, I don't think any of the other ones would. And really, my number five rivalry, uh, it's really the Four Horsemen podcast against Doug Flutie because I absolutely hate that man. Uh, but no, I think there are some. I think the. Uh, the Red River shootout, Oklahoma, Texas does deserve to be number five, uh, again, for that regional conflict there. And the Florida rivalries were there at some point, but no one really cares about the state of Florida anymore, uh, which is unfortunate. They're just, they fell off so quickly. And that, that's where I'm at with my college football rivalries. And I, I know the Harvard-Yale game was last weekend, and uh, Army-Navy coming up. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, I mean, had... Michigan not chicken shit at their way from Notre Dame for about 60 years in the early 1900s. That would be the number one game hands down because that's actually the oldest FBS rivalry is Notre Dame. Michigan. Yeah. Cause uh, Notre Dame was older than Ohio state. So they've been playing Michigan longer, um, but they've only played, you know, less than 50 times in 130 years because Michigan did a lot of scummy stuff, which I'm sure we must have outlined in in the very first podcast. Um, so that yeah, was yeah, be yeah. one, but again, we didn't play enough. Although the hatred is there, at least for me, like I I really hate Michigan. Um, but USC is our rival. USC is a better program than Michigan, so I have a lot more kind of respect for that rivalry. It's like Michigan's whatever. They're they've really not been a historic team since the 40s maybe even before that, as where USC has been pretty consistent throughout their history, and it's always been a good game. So I got a lot more respect for USC as a program, um, and I do like their, not their fight song, but the tribute to Troy, the one they play on defense. 
I know that's sacrilegious and a lot of Notre Dame fans might kill me for that. But the, you know, the dun-na-na-na-na-da-da-dun-dun-da, I love that. I think it's great. So I hate everything about the organization, including their horse. Uh, but I know we were talking, and you posted on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter, at PWagon60, at DillyDilly97, um, and follow the podcast at Four Horsemen Pod. Uh, you mentioned something about USC and ND not playing every uh, the last weekend of every season and kind of alternating that game. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know where it started, right? Um, from what I heard, I believe it was in the 60s that USC was fed up of playing in the cold, so they right. had name to change it to October. Uh, it's actually going back f- further. Uh, 1926, Mrs. Rockney, uh, Newt Rockney's wife, and USC athletic director's wife, uh, Wynn Wilson, that was athletic director, his wife, had a uh, conversation and they wanted to do a home-and-home series, and Mrs. Wilson persuaded Mrs. Rockney that a trip every two years to sunny Southern California was better than a snowy, hostile Nebraska for Thanksgiving uh, because Rockneys are from Nebraska. Uh, And then Mrs. Rockney spoke to Coach uh, Coach Rockney, and on December December 4th, 1926, USC uh, and Notre Dame began their rivalry. And then there's another one. That's one that I've heard and I've recounted. Uh, right. But there was another one where Notre Dame couldn't uh, schedule a local Western Conference opponent because a lot of schools were just saying, you know, F this, like Notre Dame, you're too good. No, no. Can't because it was because Michigan had blackballed Notre Dame from the conference at the time. Correct. They were negative um, towards Catholics, plus they just didn't like the school. So they told everybody they had that influence to not play Notre Dame which is why we ended up playing some of the service schools and some of the West Coast schools. But, yes, continue. No, and that that's the reason. And then Howard Jones came in, and uh, this was after Notre Dame won the championship in 1924, and he said, hey, we would love to uh, you know, play you guys in, uh, in Pasadena in, uh, in January. And it was just a friendship that they had. So it was pretty interesting that uh, between a conversation between wives and the, uh, the respect that Coach Jones and Coach Rodney had for each other, uh, that got to this point, and uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek, when Notre Dame gets a home game they played in October, just to mess with USC a little bit, which is kind of my favorite thing in sports. Uh, because I, <laughs> I take issue with that. Um, you know, it's cold. The, you don't want to play cold-weather games, so it's one of those things. Yeah, it's. see, you made a good point um, that it, it originally started in October, but for a long time they did play every Thanksgiving. Um, and that did change after a while because they didn't like playing in, you know, South Bend in November. Um, Notre Dame doesn't either this year, apparently. Yeah, but but my issue with it is that all of the top rivalries, except Oklahoma, Texas, and Army, Navy, but whatever, are played on rivalry week. You know, Michigan, Ohio State, the Iron Bowl, Clemson, South Carolina, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech. They're all this week. It's called Rivalry Week. And it's just kind of annoying that this rivalry is right up there, but it almost gets sometimes forgotten because it's not always played on that week. And I would like it to be every year on Thanksgiving. I get that Notre Dame is liked the we get to go to California and recruit after the season's done for a week. But come on, you can do that when you're there anyway. You know? <laughs> No, I, I know what you mean. And uh, one final point, 
which I kind of is more indicative of the weather. Uh, it was very interesting at the Syracuse game or the Notre Dame game. Sorry about that. Uh, you looked on the sideline and it was pretty, pretty windy, pretty cold. I think towards the uh, fourth quarter got down to the, the mid thirties in Fahrenheit. And um, with that, you saw the Syracuse bench, the whole game sitting on their bench, not standing on the sideline to stay warm. Well, all Notre Dame players were standing up on the sideline supporting the team. And I get they were getting their brow beaten, and it was 10 nothing before anyone knew what would happen. But cold. I never realized how much the weather affects dome teams and warm weather teams than I did on Saturday. So that's interesting. Yeah, no, for sure. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Uh, I knew some of the southern teams didn't like it because, you know, the weather. But I didn't realize that it affects dome teams as well. Apparently, the carrier dome set at a consistent 70 degrees at all times. So you figure you're playing in 70 degree weather, practicing everything in that weather. You go outside, you're going to be affected. Right. And all those people work, working out without their shirts on, that's just stupid. Uh, but that, that's beside the point there. I have a, I take issue with that. But uh, back to the kind of rivalry uh, aspect. Um, I definitely think we touched on some pretty good points about that. Uh, I know that this year isn't really a marquee ND-USC matchup, but uh, to kind of circle back to your first point, I definitely think being 8 p.m., ABC, Thanksgiving, Eve's, Eve, uh, the two days after Thanksgiving, uh, okay, I didn't know if I was frozen or not, the two days after Thanksgiving, uh, a marquee game, I think that'll be the game of the week that everyone watches. Uh, it could be, yeah, because I don't think Notre Dame UFC has played in prime time in a while. Three weeks since 2012, which is where they had, I think, like 16 million viewers. They blew right. every game out of the water. And usually Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama win that, but that year it was us. So now that it is prime time, too, I wonder, because even when Notre Dame and Stanford's prime time, it does well. It gets like seven, eight million. So um, I, I think I think you're right. I think it will be definitely top three this week because it's on abc for some reason nbc college football just doesn't get as good ratings like it doesn't mm-hmm. they just for some reason it doesn't matter who we're playing the ratings just aren't as high as if they, that same game was on abc um maybe you can elaborate on that some other time to explain to me why but uh i think i think it's going to be a big game it's uh, they're two big names too right if you're a casual fan and it's 8 p.m and you know, Michigan State, Ohio State's over, Alabama, Auburn's over. Who are you turning on? Probably those two teams, because you either hate Notre Dame or you're like, damn, these are two brand name schools going at it. Let's watch it. Because I don't know what the other eight o'clock games are, but I can't imagine it's better than Notre Dame USA. I'm looking at it right now, and I don't think there is many. Um, pulling off the full schedule here, probably bad, bad radio, but whatever. Uh, you're listening to us. <laughs> um, let's see. Thank you. And tweet us questions or comments, and we will feature you on the podcast. We want to get more involved with fans, so please join us anytime. Except if you're Sam Darnold. Uh, South Carolina Clemson starts at 7. Uh, LSU, Texas A&M, 7.30. Uh, the only one they're really going up against is Oklahoma State TCU, and that's a whatever. 
so really the seven plot slate is Kentucky, Louisville, Kansas State, Iowa State, Colorado, California, San Jose State, Fresno State, North Texas, UTSA. Beep, beep. And uh, then you have South Carolina, Clemson, LSU, TAMU. Yeah. So TAMU might be uh, might be decent because both of them are kind of good. But, again, much more at stake for Notre Dame. Um, that should win the primetime viewership. How many ratings it gets compared to the Iron Bowl and Michigan-Ohio State would be interesting. You know what's bullshit? And I know you mentioned this before. Yeah. Uh, this may be my last point for the night. Uh, the, you have the one of the best rivalries in college sports, not by our standard, the objective viewership standard. Michigan, Ohio State kicking off at noon. And then you have the Iron Bowl kicking off at, at 3.30. It's like, so I, I, I don't get it. Um, obviously, on Twitter, I kind of made fun of Michigan for it. I've gotten a lot of responses um, saying that's tradition. You know, it's it's their tradition to do so. But, you know, I'd like to say, where does that tradition come from? It's probably to avoid conflict in viewership with Alabama, Auburn, and more than anything, Notre Dame, USC, um, especially for the national crowd. And even if Michigan Ohio State beats them all in ratings, which some years it does, you don't want to compete. And the networks don't want that too. Why the hell would the network want, you know, uh, you know, CBS and then Fox want that at the same time, right? You're just eating each other's uh, viewership. So, um, yeah, I, I get that, but so it's it is some of the games like because you know Michigan never played night games until us in 2011. Um, I just think it's it's very small timey mentality. It's just ugh, you're not a national program, not a national brand unless you're Notre Dame. We're the only true one, and I know we're getting a little full of ourselves right now. But think about it. We're prime time whenever we're good. Yeah. And no team can claim that. None. Not Michigan this year. Not at all. I mean, a lot of their games have been noon kickoffs or afternoon. So, um, yeah, it's you know good on Michigan Ohio State for getting it off and giving us a reason to get up in the morning. But – you know, the, the big show at the end of the night is going to be Notre Dame-USC. I mean, yeah, and the last point, and we'll touch on this a little bit more while we wait for uh, wherever ND is going to be, but um, it's NBC, and I know a lot of people say, oh, why don't you join a conference? We've beaten the ACC champion, whoever it is. Division champion. No, the champ. Oh, well, Clemson would be in that one of the. Yeah, that's they, we've beaten the ACC division champ. Uh, whatever. Yeah. The ACC division champ, but, you know, hail to pit. Hopefully they win. And then we beat both the Big Ten. Whoever wins the Big Ten, we beat them. Well, So we don't need to join conference, right? Well, pretty much you're right there. We've beaten the Big Ten West champion um, in Northwestern. I think that's West. And the presumed well, champion. But I – a lot of people are just assuming Michigan is in the playoff and winning that game. I think we need to hold our horses there. Okay. Um, if Michigan does win, you are correct. We will have had a winner over a Big Ten. Um, but, I mean, and this is what I was going to say right before we left, maybe we should do a few kind of quick predictions of the games because I'm saying Ohio State's going to beat Michigan in Columbus. It's going to be a good game, a very close game. Uh, but death taxes and Ohio State beating Michigan, and I think that's going to come through. 
And it will be very demoralizing for Michigan fans because if you don't beat Ohio State now, when will you ever? I agree. Uh, so I, I'm in the same boat there. I think Ohio State is the win. Uh, they'll win that game. Um, Oklahoma, West Virginia, who you got? Oklahoma. Um, I have a little bit of a love affair for the Sooners when I don't, when we're not clashing, like when we don't have competing for a spot or something. I will like them. Um, good traditional school. Baker Mayfield, exciting football. I think Oklahoma. I'm hoping Oklahoma is the four seed. Um, so I'm going to take the Sooners to win that game. It'll be a shootout, though. Two Heisman candidates going at it. I agree. Uh, so this is really interesting that we have the same points. Uh, Bama-Auburn. Alabama. Um, Auburn will win those games when Auburn is good as well, like last year or the year on the miracle missed field goal return. But when Auburn is mediocre, they tend to get rolled over by Alabama. And I don't know if the game's in Tuscaloosa this year. I think it is. Um, I'm up right now. I, I just think Alabama's too much. I would love it if Auburn could win. If Auburn were to win, I think their blueprint blueprint is actually what the Citadel did. And that is run the ball and control 90% of the time of possession and go into halftime 10-10. Yep. Uh, I just... It's a rivalry game. I just think Alabama's defense is going to be much more up to the task. I think Auburn is going to struggle to get their offense going, and I think Bama will just kind of pick them apart, you know, offensively. Um, so, War, damn, eagle. Yeah, I hope so. Gus Malzahn's offense, and I know I ran it. Uh, I ran it pretty handedly over for a four-year period. They control the ball, and when you run that read option, you're trusting your defensive end, who is an 18-year-old college kid, to be right at all times. You can't be right at all times. So they run this spread, not to get too technical here, but they run the spread the spread win T. And that's what it is. If you you're just break it down to brass tacks, that's what they run. That's what a lot of programs are running now. It's hard to stop when you play in that traditional spread offense because the defenses have to adjust. So you, you spread them out wide, you bring your F back in, you do some slide motions or any type of motion into the bots. And that's how Notre Dame scored against Syracuse with uh, with Armstrong. Um, they ran kind of that counter play yeah. on the goal line. And, you know, Auburn's offense is going to be predicated on not only counter plays, but they're going to be predicated on just that big type of play to uh, – really slow down Auburn's prolific offense. So it's a very it's going to be a very interesting stylistic matchup, and I definitely think that uh, while Alabama does have the edge, if they do what the Citadel does, like you said, you kind of stole my point there, uh, it could be 10-10 at halftime, 17-17, 7-7, and uh, you don't want to get into a war in the fourth quarter with a team who can just run the ball and control clock. That's the thing with Alabama. You just got to get within a score in the fourth quarter. Um, I have to kind of two things to say to that. One, I'm concerned that when Auburn is on third down and needs to throw the ball, they will not be able to because oh, not at all. They're not relying trick plays there. I think he's a decent quarterback. I just think Alabama's you know secondary is really good, so that's my one concern. Uh, but I really, again, I really hope you're right, and I would love to see it. My second thing is, wouldn't it be hilarious if we played Alabama in the playoff or whatever, and we ran the triple option like we completely reinvented everything to mess with them? 
and to just try to run out the clock and win at like a 13-7 game. Throw Wimbush in the backfield with Buck and well, exactly. They'd be unstoppable. I mean, I was thinking you can do a lot of things with that split back backfield. And I advocated for it, not gonna lie. I advocated it for the beginning of the season when you run Book, Wimbush, Armstrong, and uh Williams all on the backfield, the old old school four horseman offense. And yeah. You hand it off. You let them throw. I, you know, obviously don't let the two running backs throw. But I, I think that'd be interesting. And uh, moving forward from there, we got another SEC matchup that no one really cares about. Uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech. Hey, Georgia Tech, ACC school. But I'll let that one slide. Um, I'm going to say, oh, boy, that's another good one. Dare I say it, I think Georgia Tech might pull off the upset. Oh, wow. Now, let me really, you know, hold myself down before, you know, exposed frozen cold takes, you know, blows me up for it. Um, Georgia Tech plays Georgia Tough. It's a good rivalry. Georgia Tech plays the, uh, the triple option offense. Georgia Tech's not too bad this year. And Georgia, I don't think, is as good as we think this year because Georgia really hasn't faced too many tough teams. And when they have they split 1-1, right? They beat Florida, who I don't even think is really that good, and they lost to LSU. So I don't think we really know how good Georgia is, and I think that's a possible game where Georgia Tech wins it. Now, do they play that home-and-home, home, or is that always in, like, a neutral site game? Do you know? I believe it's neutral site. I'll, I'll check that right now while we go into our last game. Uh, it's the Apple Cup. Washington, Washington State, and uh, it should be of note that we only did games that had so I'm sorry for those of you who wanted to hear about our Egg Bowl. Uh, Egg Bowl tapes are the the I-90 showdown of UCF and South Florida, but we don't care about them. Um, so with that, uh, Washington, Washington State, while I look up this Georgia, Georgia Tech one, it's, it's played in Georgia, so it's a home and home. Right, so it's going to be at Athens? Yeah. Right. So that's obviously dampers a little bit of what I said there. Um, but we'll see. I mean, Georgia should win that game. I'm trying to have both my cake and eat it too here. But watch out for Georgia Tech this week. Um, do you know what the line is? Um, I lost it again because I closed it out. Uh, it is dead air, dead air, dead air, dead air, bad radio. The line is 17 right now. Yeah, I would I would take Tech to cover. I think they could win it outright. Uh, we'll see. I mean, that's going to be a good game. Um, and that would be really funny if Georgia loses but then beats Alabama. That's even a crazier scenario. Um, but to move on to the worst conference of the Power Five, the Pac-12, I'm going to say Washington wins. Because I don't think Wazoo is very good. I know I've been saying that about a lot of teams. Um, I think they're kind of a fluke to be this good because the Pac-12 is bad. Um, they've beaten teams who at the moment looked good and who in retrospect hasn't really performed at all. So like Oregon, Stanford. Um, they've lost to USC. So, you know, keep that in mind. Um, Washington, on the other hand, has been pretty good. They lost to... Uh, I believe it's Oregon in overtime, uh, and they've lost to Auburn. 
and then I think there might be another L in there. It might be to Utah or something like that. Or no, it's Cal, I think. Um, they're a good team. Washington is a good, solid team. I think Wazoo in the same, you know, is in the same category. But I think Wazoo is rated way above of where they really are. You know, to to be fair with their ranking, they deserve to be where they are. But I don't think they're a. Sorry, that's a that's a clock. <laughs> okay, we'll cut that. Uh, out. Yeah, so um, I agree. I don't think Garrett Minshew is a good quarterback. I don't think he's a good person. I think he has an ugly mustache. Um, I, there's a lot of things I don't like about him. I think Ian Book is a more viable quarterback. And the name Garrett is a stupid name. So <laughs> there's my take. I bet you can uh, know where I'm going with this. Chris Peterson is a good coach. And uh, I think Washington will uh, win the game. Yeah, so we're three for three, eh? We're on the same. And that's what it looks like. So uh, other than that, that's all the uh, all the things I got for tonight. And uh, Are you taking Bulldogs? Oh, I didn't say that. Uh, I guess we have to go with Georgia, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Georgia, I don't think Georgia Tech can pull it off. All right. We should do a – we should put our, like, spreads out there and see which one of us does better. Yeah, well, I don't remember what I said, so I'll have to listen to this back and, uh, and see what I did there. But uh, other than that, big week this week, USC, they've done nothing of note, and um, we're going to beat them. And then book our trip to the college football playoff where anything can happen. Uh, this is a friendly reminder. Follow us on Twitter at HorsemanPod, at PWagon60, at DillyDilly97 and at Steve Campy. Uh, subscribe, rate, unsubscribe, resubscribe, do all that stuff to get us up there in the rankings. Uh, Spotify said they will drop us if you don't do that for us. So care about us and help us out. Um, that's all I got for this week. Uh, Dylan? May I say one thing, P-Wagon, to all the Notre Dame fans out there and everyone listening at home. The luck of the Irish is good forever. But a Trojan is only good once. And we'll leave you with that. Go Irish, beat SC. Bury SC, go Irish.